Welcome to the Start Me Up podcast, which is part of the Demcast Network. I'm Kimberly Johnson in D.C., and today my guest is Tiffany Bond. She's a family law attorney, and she's running as an independent to unseat Senator Susan Collins. Now, she's a little different than most candidates. She's not taking any donations. She has no campaign staff, and her campaign is primarily online. I'm going to be asking her all about why she's uh, choosing this non-traditional route and why she believes she can win with this strategy. Certainly going to be a fascinating conversation. Um, But oh my God, you guys, Sondland. (laughs) He's he's thrown everyone under the bus. Um, Here's just a quote uh, from the proceedings, from the hearings. Sondland says, I followed the directions of the president. Was there a quid pro quo? The answer is yes. Everyone was in the loop. It's no secret. Oh my God, are you kidding me? Um, Does this mean that I think that the nail is in the coffin? No, because it's the Trump administration and Trump has lived in the Trump bubble his whole life and always gotten away with everything. That doesn't mean I think he's going to get away with this, but I'm not going to feel totally confident until justice is served in some fashion. Um, You know, who knows what's going to go down. Before we uh, get into the main interview, I just kind of want to go over some of what happened over the weekend because Trump visited Walter Reed in an unusual, unexpected trip. And he's just basically saying that it's, it's part of, or the first phase of a physical because he's going to be so busy in 2020, which is total bullshit and everybody knows it. And it, you know, whether it it was a panic attack and he thought it was a heart attack or, or whatever there, there's been speculation online, right? There's been this idea that he may, um, resign and use his health as the reason. Now, let me just tell you before you're like, no, he's never going to resign. First of all, nobody knows. We can all guess. We can all have our theories, but nobody knows exactly what is going to happen. Uh, I was, I have heard, and so has Bob Suska, rumblings and rumors in conservative circles that by March, specifically by March, Trump would be resigning. And that he, uh, and the rumors go that he wants Ivana, or Ivanka, I'm sorry, his daughter wife, to take his place. Now, I know that's very unlikely, but keep in mind, she recently just got a bob haircut. And while that may sound insignificant, it really isn't. Because when people, women, want to be taken seriously... They either dye their hair brown if they're blonde or they cut their hair shorter. And that's what patriarchy dictates, because evidently, if you have long blonde hair, you're not intelligent. So, you know, we all know Ivanka is um, happy to please the patriarchy. Now, I honestly don't I, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm just telling you that there are legitimate rumors circulating in D.C., specifically specifically within um, conservative circles, that Trump will use his health to resign. Now, we, we will see what happens. There's absolutely no way to tell if that's true. We just have to wait and see. But it sure is interesting, isn't it? And today, we have a very interesting setup because Sondland is just throwing everybody under the bus. And obviously, the Republicans are going to twist themselves in pretzel knots trying to figure out how to smear him, attack him, and make him sound like he isn't um, legitimate in any way. Will they be successful? I don't know. That's the thing about the times we're living in. Truth doesn't necessarily win. It didn't win in 2016. But we have seen blowback. We have seen in 2017, 2018, and 2019, at least through elections, that um, people are fed up. And now that these you know, testimonies are public, even though they may not be getting the greatest television ratings, most of these people, most people are watching it online. <laughs> I saw Devin Nunes last night trying to um, act like some fucking big shot, but he was like fake apologizing to uh, the the two witnesses, like saying, oh, I'm sorry, we're not, I'm sorry for the poor TV ratings or something along those lines. And it's like, oh, fuck you. Most people are watching this on their phones or on their iPads or on their computers. I saw some woman online said that her boss let her watch the proceedings 
on her computer at work. So a lot of people are following this online. They're at work. So it's it's just going to get crazier and crazier and crazier. Uh, before we get to Tiffany's conversation, Tiffany's interview, it's a great time to remind everybody that Start Me Up is supported by listeners. And as all my listeners know, I don't have corporate funding and I'm not right now I'm not using advertisers. So the show is surviving on the support of listeners. Maybe you can consider becoming a patron for any dollar amount. And I always say this, one to two dollars a month. It's like it's like getting me two to four lattes a year for the work that I do. You can afford that, right? I think so. If you like the show, um, $5 gets you into and another thing, which we usually do that at least two times per month. I did one already. And the next time we're going to do it is at the, I think it's next week. That's when Steph's going to be on the day before Thanksgiving. Um, we're going to do one. So that'll be fun. And I do know at least for now, feminist next door should be coming back at the beginning of December. Hopefully we'll have an end another thing with her. Um, take, take a listen to some of the shows. See if you like them. If you're, if you're new, if you're a Tiffany Bond uh, supporter and you're listening to this show and you've never heard it before, go to the front page of patreon.com slash start me up. I have a whole list of people that I've interviewed. Listen to some of the shows, see if you like them, and then become a patron. Um, and don't forget, we're on iTunes and we're on Stitcher, of course, any, anywhere podcasts are found. And once again, I've got two new ratings and a new review so I just thank you to Bob, not Seska, <laughs> who gave me another wonderful review. I always need more. iTunes is an important place where, you know, all the, uh, the five stars and, and the reviews matter. So that's really important. And uh, I'm always including a link to the iTunes, uh, I guess, store, whatever you call it, on the text to the description in my Patreon, which is patreon.com slash start me up. That's where you can find um, all, all the show, not all, well, you can find all the shows, but I've linked a bunch of the shows where I've interviewed some people that I, I feel that were really exceptional interviews. Also, that's where you can go to join the tiers to become a patron. And, uh, let's see what else, what else, what else. Um, I think that's going to be it with the exception of, I don't usually announce this, but after every interview, I, I kind of chime in at the end by myself. So just in case everybody's shutting everything off at the end of the interview, I always have something extra to say at the end, you know, my point of view. It, it's only a, a few minutes. So just in case you're interested, there's that. Um, all right. Well, that's it. Now, please enjoy my conversation with Tiffany Bond. Welcome, Tiffany. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, I'm, a, I'm really glad that you're here. You're an interesting person and you have, um, you're running a very different kind of a campaign. And as I announced at the beginning, you are running against Susan Collins in Maine. Um, you are a family law attorney and you're running as an independent. So it's, you used to be a Republican, correct? Well, sort of. I grew up Republican. I haven't been Republican since, oh gosh, I don't have an exact date I left. You know how you just sort of drift away and ghost things that become uncomfortable. So late teens, early 20s, I really started to leave that. And and I've never been um, officially registered in a party because I grew up in Washington State. And there's not the same party registration, or there wasn't back then. They had open primaries, so you mm-hmm. just sort of voted. Oh, I see. Okay. <laughs> so it was, it, was, it was a different system. They've changed their system since then, but uh, back then they did not have that. So now you're an independent. I am. I, you know, I, there's in the nineties, it was really common to say that I'm fiscally conservative and socially liberal. And those aren't quite the terms I would use anymore. Um, I'm fiscally efficient. Sometimes it makes sense to spend more money because you get a better bang for bucks. Sometimes it makes sense to cut a program if it's not performing well. Um, and you know, liberal is, is not the right term for how I feel on social issues. I'm more socially just, uh, so I, I have a more egalitarian take than I used to, mm-hmm. uh, and I, you know, I've developed as I've you know grown from my teens to my twenties, and now I'm 43. So I'm in a little bit different space. But yeah, I'm, I'm definitely an independent, and I'm uh, I've got sort of a hodgepodge of views. And you'll find if you ask a lot of people around Maine, it, it kind of feels like Maine, um, and mm-hmm. that's how Maine tends to be as a hodgepodge. 
So um, now correct me if I'm wrong, but you are very, you're a very different kind of a candidate because you're not taking any money. You don't have a campaign staff. You're not using television ads. And basically you are campaigning online. Is that correct? Sort of. So I'll talk a little bit about how I campaigned last year because I, I think it'll be reflective of what's upcoming. Mm-hmm. So I, last year, I, you know, when I thought, oh my gosh, I feel like I have to run for office. I'd never really had that feeling before. I thought, well, I, I want to do this in a way that's really authentic. You know, I, I really, I find the polished, put together, very nicely tidy techniques. I think they're offensive to me because I don't know what I'm getting. I feel like I'm getting a product instead of a person. So I thought, well, I'm a middle-class boring mom and I'm going to campaign as a middle-class boring mom. I don't think that money belongs in politics, so I'll find a way around that. I think a lot of things in campaigning are annoying, so I'll I'll find ways around that. I think a lot of things are wasteful, so I'll find ways around that. I'd like any money to be productive. So I kind of sat down and thought, how can I do this? So last year, I did have a lot of events. Um, They weren't necessarily published online. I think that's a holdover from internet security days where I I sort of publish things after I leave or not at all, just as a a safety and security measure. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, But I did, I I had things every week. I had tons of activities and events and things that I went to. Um, But instead of taking money, I thought it's so wasteful, right? How much do we waste in politics every year. I think the most recent number I saw of the 2018 race I was in was altogether in the system. There was about $31 million. Wow. And yeah, right. <laughs> what can we do with $31 million? <laughs> I could do a lot of really good things with $31 million. So, um, I tried to come up with a way to do not what we've been doing and to really live the message that I have. So I said, you know, take any money that you want to give me and let's do something more productive with it. And I need to get on TV and I need to have people know who I am. Mm-hmm. So if let's get me on TV. So let's take money you would want to give me anyway and give it to a non-for-profit, a, you know, a, a verified charity in the state of Maine, you know, help, help veterans, help domestic violence, help, um, help with teachers and their projects, help with food insecurity, help with heating oil in the winter, and, and just write Tiffany Bond for Congress in your donation or on your check line. Hmm. And the goal for that was to try and get earned media and to get on the TV that way instead of with commercials that really bother us all. But I knew I also wasn't going to have a staff and, and I wasn't going to have um, a massive ability to be able to have tons of people door knocking. So instead of getting a staff to door knock, I thought, wouldn't it be great if we could each do one door knock. So buy a product from a small business in Maine and leave a note that says, hey, Tiffany Bond would not take my money. So she asked me to go find a small business product anywhere in Maine and support that small business, help them thrive, help the community. So put the money where it belongs in the community. And I did that and I ended up spending last year less than $800 hmm. of my own money to run. And I ended up getting 5.6% of the vote and it made the Republican lose. So that was pretty awesome. That was <laughs> that was achieving my goals, right? I, I don't have a thing against Republicans per se, although on the, on the federal level, they're making some really poor choices. Yes. But we have a lot of Republicans in Maine that are nice, normal, ethical, fine people. Uh, a lot of them are my friends and my colleagues. It's just not reflected at the federal level. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted that Republican to lose, though, because that Republican was voting for things that made my job hard. And hmm. now he's not doing that. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it was, it was a different spin. Um, there, there were some logistical challenges, though, because I ran in the 2nd Congressional District, and there are 375 towns, so it's hard to say buy something in Maine. But in one of these 375 towns yeah so i really like to take it for a spin on a statewide level right now do you think that um or you know what let me back up i wanted to talk to you about ranked choice voting because i think that is a fantastic idea and it should be implemented throughout the united states so can you explain to people what that is yeah, and I'll be honest, you know, I, again, I, I come from a fairly, like, conservative, individualistic background growing up um, in a sort of, 
it's hard to use these terms because they've really changed. Like when you say libertarian now, it means something very different than it did, you know, 30 years ago. Um, so we, you know, I, I came from that sort of ranked race voting was eh to me. You know, I didn't, I didn't love it. I was like, well, I guess that's a new voting system. Let's see how we can make it work. Mm-hmm. Um, and it grew on me. And the way that ranked choice voting works is you just go in and, and the, the demo that we did for, the state basically was like, I'd like ice cream and I'd like pistachio, but if pistachio is not available, I'd like chocolate. And if chocolate's mm-hmm. not available, I'd like strawberry. And you rank all the candidates in the order you prefer them. And it requires a candidate to get 50% of the vote. And in the first round in the race I was in, nobody got 50%. So the bottom two candidates in that case were eliminated and it went to an instant runoff. So a lot of, a lot of times people see it as you getting extra votes, but it's actually one vote per round. Your vote just doesn't move if your first place is still in the race, if your first preference. Mm -hmm. And so what happened is a lot of people were able to vote for me and, and there was another uh, candidate Will Hoare, um, they were able to vote for both of us and say, hey, we like your ideas. We like that you're doing something new and fresh. We can take a chance on that. And if enough people agree with us, great. We get somebody new and interesting in office. And if not, there's still subsequent rounds where our vote can be allocated to the traditional parties. Hmm. And mm-hmm. it was it was really interesting. Um, and it was a very close race. It was really likely to go to ranked choice voting, um, as is probably the race with Susan Collins this year and probably the same race I was in last year, the second congressional district, I would guess. Um, it's, it's a rough guess this far out, but I would guess roughly that both probably have a, a fairly substantial chance of being ranked choice voting rate races. So let me, and, and you know, sometimes I like the idea of it and I do understand it to a degree, but it's very difficult for me to explain it. And if, if we were to employ that kind of voting across the United States, um, how would that how would that work when it comes in, you know, when you take into account somebody like Jill Stein or Ralph Nader, um, who can spoil a vote? Well, so, and, uh, you know, and this is where you and I might disagree a little bit. I don't think of it as a spoiler. I think of it as you have a different political ideology. Um, I think it allows people to take risks on those ideologies who are, who are hedging the bet and feel like they might be voting for somebody they see as a spoiler. I've actually voted for Ralph Nader quite a few times, um, but I was voting in, at that time, Washington State, and it wasn't any risk of spoiling. I saw it as, hey, maybe I'd like another option, and if we can get 3% of the vote, there might be some funding that comes in with that. Let's try something new. Well, n- now you can do that in Maine without there being any risk. Because if it does come down to a two-horse race, um, which Maine in particular doesn't care for, um, if it does come down to a two-horse race, you know, say Ralph Nader, it was a a race that Ralph Nader was in. You know, a whole bunch of people voted for Ralph Nader. Um, If he was low man out and neither the Democrat or the Republican had 50 percent, what would happen is that round would end. There would be no winner declared and the lowest person, which would probably be Ralph would have um, his first round votes eliminated and then people have the option to vote Republican, Democrat, um, or any other candidate that's in the race or no vote. They, they can say, I only want Ralph. I don't like any of you people. And so if people, you know, sort of naturally need lean left or right, they still have those options of the primary parties to vote for if there isn't a 50%. And if there is a 50% in the race, yeah, the low, the person with the lowest amount of votes wasn't going to make a difference anyway. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, so like in in the in the case of Jill Stein, let's say voters chose her as their number one, and then maybe marked Hillary Clinton as their number two. So if Hillary Clinton, so you know, in in the case of what actually happened, and it was like eighty thousand votes or something that Jill Stein got in 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 those three, or I don't rem- exactly remember how many votes she got, but uh, it could have been enough to cut into Hillary Clinton. And so is it possible? And that's what I, that's what I'm always a little bit fuzzy about. Is it like, would those votes go to Hillary Clinton if, if Clinton were the number two uh, choice? Yes and no. So if, so if we were to take Jill Stein, you know, Hillary Clinton and Trump, if if they were the three, um, if Trump already had 50% of the votes in a given state, then he would still have prevailed. If he, and that's the total system, not, 
you know, 50% between the Democrat and the Republican. Mm -hmm. If he didn't have 50%, say, you know, he was 49.5 and uh, Hillary was 49.3, then what would happen is any of the votes that went to uh, Jill, you know, you have to have 50% of whatever round you're in. So Mm -hmm. you may actually end up with somebody who gets less than 50% of the votes in the whole first round vote because you may have some people who choose to not vote in subsequent mm-hmm. rounds. Um, but it would, it would be the person who had 50% in whatever the final round is, whether that's the first round or the 10th round. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the problem that you face with votes like Jill Stein and Ralph Nader is I think a lot of people ideologically would opt out of not voting in some of those races. And mm-hmm. so it's hard to say whether or not they're a spoiler. I think a lot of people probably would transfer. And we certainly saw that in the race that I was in. Um, but a lot of people may choose to say, I'm, you know, it's almost like religion, you know, we choose Pentecostal Baptist and somebody who says, you know, look, I'm Mormon. So I'm not either one of those. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't want to pick between those two. So there's, there's always the, the segment that will just dump out of the race and say, I like either of the parties. But I think that there's a lot of ability to move parties towards something that is more palatable. And that's not necessarily centrist because sometimes more palatable is actually more dramatic. Some of the things we see in Maine is sometimes people are much more conservative or much more liberal than the parties. So that has the ability to move, you know, either to the center or further out or Mm -hmm. to another direction altogether. It also forces um, a little bit more collegial races, which um, I really enjoy. I, I I like that much more than the commercials with the monster truck announcer voices telling yeah. you that you know, the other person is you know, Satan's son or whatever. So <laughs> now you had mentioned that you have a you when you were running before, which I believe was in 2018, correct? Correct. Um, that you had done events. Now, are you out there pressing flesh and meeting people? I am not. So here's a couple of uh, takeaways for me. Um, So a takeaway for me is it is really important to stay connected to your family and community. And I, towards the end of the race and going into any subsequent races, I'm going to draw better boxes around family time, around what we really expect, because the expectation that we have of people that they spend every waking moment, regardless of any other responsibilities they have, campaigning, that's, that's just a horrific expectation. We're going to get awful representatives if that's the job interview. So I anticipate there'll be several events per week in the the last month. There'll probably be an event or two a week um, heading into it, but I've sort of made a decision that, you know, to go to official hot campaign mode, um, I'm going to wait until I can actually uh, collect ballots and say, like, look, I'm collecting signatures. Um, would you sign a nomination petition to get me on the ballot? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I want to be in that space. So that would that would start in January, and I, that would leave my campaign um, active on the ground with events from January one until the election. And is that basically how people are getting to know that you're running? I mean, how is it? I mean, you've got your online presence, obviously, and it's a decent one. So, um, and I know I've seen a yeah, couple I'm not of subtle. interviews. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not being very subtle in intent. Uh, but just when we're talking about actual time where you meet people, I think there's some real limitations that we should be putting on there. I, I really don't like the idea, and, and this is actually one of my problems with house races, I don't like the idea that people are constantly campaigning. How can you possibly do the job? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, are you, you going to have... effectively uh, campaign at that level. Um, how, how much success... How, how would you describe the, the success of what you did as far as... Um, you know, buying from local business and, and leaving a note. How much did that get your name out there? It was pretty effective. So I was virtually unknown in Maine. I'm from away originally, so I moved here in 2010. Um, I have had uh, the, you know, I've been blessed with a really successful law practice um, that I've been able to develop. My my clients have been incredibly kind with online reviews, so I. I happen to be the best reviewed attorney in the state right now. Um, and I was back then too. And so I, I haven't ever had to, um, to, to want for clients, but I also haven't ever been super well known. I hadn't mm-hmm. held office before. Um, I, I wasn't like a fixture in politics. So I sort of came out of nowhere. Um, my Twitter account had less than a hundred followers, I think. Hmm. 
Um, so I really went from like zero to candidate very quickly and it was a pretty overlooked race. I mean, we had a lot bigger races running in our state. We were, we were electing our governor and the gubernatorial race was much higher profile. Um, Susan Collins was also running some sort of zone defense distracting from <laughs> the, the house race, which, uh, if you look at my Twitter account, you'll see me not very nicely saying like, why are we paying attention to a 2020 race? You know, this is, this is pulling energy out of a race that needs attention now. Stop. <laughs> um, so it was, it, our, our race got very, very little press and no one gave me coverage. Really. There was a one reporter locally that was sort of gracious about covering me. Sometimes the major newspapers here did not, um, the, the, uh, TV stations were a little bit more egalitarian. They included me in the debates, so one of them I had to be pretty enthusiastic that I was necessary in for them to include me. And, I, you know, I, I basically got no press coverage. So to go from zero to 5.8% of the vote, and that was um, was enough to, to essentially change the outcome. I was able to pull in voters that uh, might not have otherwise voted because they didn't feel like they had a candidate. Um, that was, that was a, a big jump. I think that the, the next jump up will be easier. Um, but it was, a, it was a hard race because it wasn't very high profile, mm-hmm. although you would think a house race would be. Hmm. Well, and, and now we're moving into, you're running against Susan Collins, who certainly has done herself no favors in the last couple of years, especially with Brett Kavanaugh. And so you're running against her, but then there's a, there's a Democrat, Sarah Gideon, who's running against her. I want to know what sets you apart from Sarah Gideon? Well, there's actually four Democrats in oh, okay. the primary. That's and the that's one that's that everyone knows. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so there's a primary in June, and I actually um, I, I don't know very much about Sarah personally. She hasn't published much on issues. Um, she certainly has a lot of people behind her, but I think that her campaign has made some fairly catastrophic choices when it comes to how inclusive they are of other candidates. And I think that that ultimately will make it very, very difficult for Sarah to win against Susan. Well, who would you say of the um, presidential candidates running right now um, who are in the game, whose ideology matches up best to yours? And I'm not asking you who you're going to vote for, per se. Just, you know, who would you say, yeah, this person is kind of along the lines of or even a combination of people? Well, I mean, it, it is more of a combination. I think that there's um, there's things I like about different candidates, right? I mean, like if I start on the Republican side, there's a few people who are running against Trump. I like their pragmatic, that there are valid conservative principles that they are willing to push on. Um, because, you know, there there isn't just one political party and one political ideology. So I, I like that we have some conservatives that will probably be completely ineffective, but are willing to put a lot of energy on the line for that. Um, I do like fiscal prudence, although the Republican Party has not been as dedicated to that as they have marketed for several years. Um, on, on the Democrat side, you know, there's different things I like about different people, right? Like Cory Booker can deliver a line. Um, I want to go get tea with Elizabeth Warren. She's, <laughs> she's very pragmatic. She's fun to listen to. Um, I, you know, I, I want to go get martinis with Kamala Harris, right? Like I want to get, I guess see different things that are different people, right? Like I want to go sit down and talk about criminal justice reform with uh, Kamala Harris. Mm-hmm. I, I want to talk about the CSPB and what choices were made with Elizabeth Warren. Part of that is I'm a foreclosure diversion mediator in the state of Maine. So a lot of the things that were done with like HARP and HAMP, um, yeah, that that stuff I got to see firsthand, and it really did genuinely benefit people. I'd love I'd love to go talk about that. Um, and so a, a lot of the the folks that are in the race, I really see good things about. I mean, even Marianne Williamson, who's a little um, uh, eccentric, I think she makes some good points that are maybe not captured elsewhere. So, I, I and that's part of being independent. That I, I identify with different things about different candidates. Um, I haven't really taken any stances for with any of the candidates because as somebody who's not a Democrat, my voice doesn't matter in that. I mean, I don't get to vote in the primaries. I don't, I don't have a say in that. So I'll have to determine how I feel about their candidate once they have a candidate. And I feel like it's really not my role to be kind of pushing that. Mm -hmm. Um, 
But if, if you look some of the debates I've gone and live tweeted, I think the format that's been used for the debates is really not doing any of the Democrats any favors. I agree. Um, I hope they shift that soon because it's hard to get to know them. I think the yeah. town hall formats are a little bit better, but they're hard for me to watch, right? Like I'm a mom at seven o'clock. I'm making dinner. Right. <laughs> I do not have time to sit down on the couch and, and watch that unfettered. So, yeah. um, but the format's awful. I think as the as the field narrows, um, that it'll be easier. I do have um, an unpleasant taste in my mouth from people who are jumping in now. I feel like yeah. though in a Senate race, not running for too long is is reasonable. Um, they have a primary that is a lot earlier. And when I see folks jumping in now, I'm like, come on, <laughs> if you can't find something among your colleagues, like maybe not, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe those resources are spent elsewhere, but I, there's also a lot of candidates, right? When you're, when you have enough candidates to fill a clown car, you better make sure you're not the clown. Well, I, yeah, I think, you know, I mean, I wish that the way I understand the DNC wanted to, I mean, I keep, I, I'm, I'm falling all over myself here trying to make this point, but it's like, I, I think that they meant well, but I think that, you know, judging by the way that there have been 10 candidates on the stage, at least it doesn't work. And, and obviously there are a lot of people who are upset over what's going on. And so they, they want to jump in this race. I wish the ones that have, because there really only are a few viable people. I would say there's right. four or five viable people. And at this point in the game, we can't guess who that's going to be. I mean, Pete Buttigieg has been making huge leaps and bounds. And so, you know, will he surprise everybody and become the nominee? I don't know. Um, right, you know, a month ago, it looks like Elizabeth Warren might be that person. But we really don't know. We have to watch what happens and how things play out. But I totally agree that um, it really should just between be between the viable candidates. And I hope that the DNC and their and the way that they set things up the next time makes it a little more difficult for people who are just buying their way in um, to get there. So that's, that's my personal opinion. Um, but I wanted to ask you too, I saw in the interview that you had said something about members of Congress should be able to read and understand federal law and most don't. So I just want you to talk about that. Well, so I come from a very different background than I think a lot of candidates do, um, and I and I think it's I think it's really important when you're making law to know the impact it has on people. And a lot of lawmakers don't have that, and it's strange because a lot of people are like, "Oh my gosh, you're a family law attorney. What could you possibly know?" <laughs> and a lot of the laws on the federal level really impact family law, right? Mm -hmm. If we're talking about taxation, tax code is huge in family law. It, you know, it touches every case we have uh, from, you know, how we tax alimony to how we handle the separation of businesses and estates. There's a lot in there. Um, how we handle health care, how we handle um, food insecurity and, and how we're handling, you know, TANF and how we're handling um, SNAP. Those things are all huge in family law as well. So there's a lot of pieces of that, even when you're talking about how we handle Fannie and Freddie, right? Like, are you going to be able to refinance? Is uh, the lesser income parent, which is usually mom, but not always, are they going to be able to buy a house and provide stability for, mm -hmm. for the children that are there? They all really impact things. So, you know, I find myself frustrated that the people who are writing the laws don't understand the line-by-line -line text. I'm sure they can hire people to do that, but ultimately it's their vote. And if they don't truly understand what they're voting on, if they're not phoning a friend to the capacity that they can read line by line and really know if somebody snuck something icky in there, they're really not doing the job. And, and that almost ties back to if they're so busy campaigning, how on earth do they have time to do the job? Um, I, I think that you probably can't read every single bill proposed in the House and the Senate. There are other duties. It is not the only thing, although it is the most important thing. But I think that you can read every bill that is probable mm -hmm. to to the space where you at least know, yes, I need to vote for this or not need to vote for this. And I think that if the answer is yes, you need to have read the bill all the way through. Mm -hmm. And I think if the answer is no, you need to have read far enough in to determine whether or not a bill is just salvageable. And then there's a lot of fluff bills that you could just 
I ignore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like there's a lot of bills. And, and I actually criticize Susan Collins for this a lot. She works on so many bills that have no real purpose other than a photo op. Like there's a yeah. lot of those in Congress and we can really be scaling back. <laughs> but it, it's important. It's an important part of the job. I mean, the federal law, that is the scaffolding that all of our state and local laws are built upon. That's what holds us together. That's our glue. And we don't have people in there that really nerd out on it. Do I think every person needs to? No. Do I think we need a few more that do? Yes. <laughs> um, because even the well-intentioned laws, you know, there's there's been laws that were passed by bipartisan, and I go through and I read it, and I'm like, what are you doing? Why would you put this there? Um, and, you know, one of the bills that I pointed out last year, uh, and I did a bill read on this, it was the one that was talking about vets and getting them treatment for Agent Orange and other chemical exposure, but it was funded by home loans of other vets. So you, you shouldn't be funding programs for people mm-hmm. who have injured, been injured in service to our country by essentially taxing their colleagues. Like, that's ridiculous. Yeah, my father actually. And a lot of people voted for it because it sounded nice, right? Like, let's help that's with Agent <laughs> Orange. Like, it sounds really good. Yeah. But if you don't know where the funding source is coming from, you might be making a really big mistake. So I, I think we have a lot of things like that. And, and frankly, there's no requirements to know how law works to be elected. And we have a lot of people that don't have a background that I don't think you need to be an attorney. I do think being an attorney helps. I don't think you need to have experience with every part of law, but having experience with how law impacts people helps. And I, I feel like we just have a lot of people in in Congress that just don't. <laughs> I mean, this is not a nicer way to say it. They just don't have enough experience to maybe be doing this. And yeah. I, there's always going to be a learning curve, but I don't want everything being learned on the fly. Right. Absolutely. Um, you know, I'm I'm curious. Do you feel okay? First of all, let me ask you this. Do you, what do you think your chances are of beating Susan Collins in this or getting to the point where you can at least run against Susan Collins and beat her? Well, so, I mean, getting to the point where I can run against her, that's like, that's just signatures. That's annoying, but not hard. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a process that requires anybody who's running as an independent to get 4,000 verified signatures and they're on the ballot. So that's obnoxious, but it's not hard to achieve. It's <laughs> mm-hmm. just time consuming. Um, running against her and beating her, you know, I don't know. I, I I think in this race I might have to beat her to have her go down, um, which is something that I'm sort of grappling with because that's a major lifestyle change for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but rate choice voting changes everything, right? Mm-hmm. So either my campaign takes off and I get a bazillion followers on Twitter and all of them just want to help one person and buy one thing and it goes viral and is is insurmountable to other opponents. I mean, you know, people talk about main raising, um, which is, you know, what I've dubbed the, you know, please go help someone. And if main raising gets 20 people, yeah, I don't win. I'm, I'm a nobody. But if, say, 100 or 200,000 people go buy something from a main small business and tell them, hey, go look this person up. Mm-hmm. When people get those orders, they aren't just happy about it. They usually become pretty enthusiastic fans, right? Here is somebody running for office, and they're really putting their message exactly where it should be. Send the resources to the community. This is the first person running for office who's really, like, helped me directly by refusing to take money. They don't want the money. They want a job if it's available and they really just want to focus on that job and they want all the other resources to go to the community. That's very impactful. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think if we're in a position where I get two or 300,000 people that are willing to purchase one thing in Maine, I think I win. Um, And I think that that can overcome no matter how many millions are spent, because at some point the millions start to have an inverse relationship to efficacy. And we saw that last year. I mean, it got so bad because Maine is such a cheap media market. It got so bad that you couldn't turn on a device. You couldn't turn on your TV like October in Maine last year was awful. All it was was awful political ads that nobody wanted. And, you know, people just stopped paying attention and they didn't want anything to do with it. So this is a way around that. This is a way around that fatigue to say, like, let's just make us better. Mm -hmm. Let's stop with all the nonsense and let's make us 
run a job interview for skills that are actually what the job uses and for priorities that are demonstrable and evident, let's do it. And, and that's, it's just, a, it's a different way to look at politics. It's a different what if than what, what we're doing everywhere else. Yeah. And that's exactly what I um, admire about what you're doing because it is an alternative solution that, you know, like you said, it, it, it keeps you at home with your family. It, it isn't just about money. And a lot of us are upset about money. And I think the other thing, which is great, is, you know, and we're seeing this on the presidential level now in the candidates where, and this really, really bothers me. And I don't know how, let's just, let's just for one moment say that your effort sets off um, a chain reaction in, in our government and can, can help uh, take money out of politics, help offer, you know, a, a new way of running. And it's not going to happen overnight. But the idea is the uh, right now, what, what I'm seeing is if if somebody is, um, let's say, really interested in Pete Buttigieg, then um, other people like if, if they're if they're a fan of a different candidate or supporter, then they're going to say, oh, well, you like Pete, you're a racist. If you like Kamala, then you know, you're a, a cop lover or whatever, whatever stupid shit that everybody wants to uh, put on each other because, you know, they don't like your favorite candidate. And, and, and I see more, I see that happening um, more and more. Unfortunately, I do believe that it is, it is amplified by trolls, whether it's Russian trolls or GOP trolls, or, you know, obviously there's professional trolls on the internet who understand how to hijack a narrative and then um, basically they amplify it and then they play both sides of it, which causes division. And then that makes it easier for someone to criticize another voter because they like candidate X when you like candidate Y. And it's just become ridiculous. And obviously we need some, we need something. I mean, the internet is part of what I'm talking about and regulating the internet might help to solve that. But um, as far as how we run our political system and, and how we run for office it's like you said, I mean, I remember reading about how candidates don't have any time to govern because they are spending their entire time raising money. And that really oh, is, yeah. that's oh. not working for the people. So I think it's great, you know, regardless of where you stand, even if you are a Republican, um, regardless of where you stand on the issues, I do appreciate and admire the, um, the effort that you're putting in, because I think if more people and then, and, and then if we have more states that have the ranked choice voting and more people like you are able to rise up and say, hey, I want to, you know, I want to do this, it could change the way we do politics. And it would take a while. Um, and it, it certainly would take some some big, bold decisions from people who are in office right now to cut money out of politics and things like that. But um, I think it's possible. So, you know, I, 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 I do admire what you're doing. I mean, if I win, it's instant. Yeah. Right. I mean, right. is it going to be everybody? No. no but but yeah, if it would be a huge... this mechanism works, yeah. you can bet the next election cycle you'll see a hundred people trying it. Right. Exactly, and that's the I way. I mean, it'll it's a drastic shift. If some little old nobody from Maine can meet beat Susan Collins, who is an institution on you know X amount of dollars, I spent less than eight hundred last year. I'd probably spend more this upcoming year. Um, I was very good at being frugal, but I would make some slightly different choices based on my learned experience now. But let's say, you know, less than 5,000. I don't, I don't know how much it would be, but if, you know, some nobody is able to take out a, a Senate institution mm -hmm. <laughs> with very little money because we said, look, send it back to the community. Uh, if that's going to really change things. I mean, part of the problem with Citizens United is you can't, get it overturned or changed until there's a viable path mm -hmm. to office that yeah. doesn't involve it. Right. And yeah. this that's what I was looking for. And I know it's cheesy, but we could use a little happy cheese these days. Well, you know, yeah. you need a mechanism around it or you're never going to get it legislated away because you're asking every single person there who has gotten elected in some part with money that probably is a little sketchy mm -hmm. To vote against what got them their job. Yeah. And that's going to be incredibly hard. You know, I have, I have people who are like, just do a constitutional amendment. And I'm like, I don't think you know how those work. <laughs> I mean, we're still trying to right. pass the ERA. So, and that was, you know, put in before I was born yeah. and I'm in my 
1940. It says 1923. So, you know, it, it's just, it's not, it's not easy like that. You need a path around it. Mm-hmm. And ranked choice voting really allows for that. Cause I can say, Hey, look, everybody take a risk with me. Mm-hmm. And if we can do this, great. You're not going to lose a Democrat or a Republican vote if you want to try that. But if you really want to get money out, here's how, I mean, I see a push among Democrats to go with low dollar voters. I struggle with that too, because to me, that's in some instances, it's almost abusive, right? I mean, it's great that you have low dollar voters. It's great that people can participate at a low dollar amount if they want to. That is fabulous. And I think that should be available in campaigns that are taking money. But when you rely only on low dollar voters, you're doing what people do to my mom, which is send somebody who's on a fixed income, 15 emails a week asking Mm -hmm. for five more dollars. Mm -hmm. Yeah. With with a, with a message that we're doomed. (laughs) <laughs> right, we're, we're doomed. doomed if you don't give me this like give me this money or we're all gonna die mm-hmm. and you know my mom has more than social security she has a little bit of retirement too but the volume that she gets and what i hear about it, it's it's astonishing to me and i get it too and i try and opt out of the list it's every single day mm-hmm. she can't get any updates or any anything without asking her for money and it's just so much about money that when you switch to lower dollar donors, all you do is increase the volume of it being about money. Mm-hmm. It can't ever be about, here's my skills and qualifications, mm-hmm. and here's what I think is important for the job, and I'm not going to ask you for money because that's ridiculous. If you want to give me money, please go help mm-hmm. the local economy. That's what's important to me. And, and it's hard to have that message if you take even a penny. And I get, I get so much pressure from people to take money, and I'm like, I'm just oh, not going to sure. do it. Well, I think I'm the not- other, yeah, the other thing that money does is it it creates this uh, desire for flash and the person with the most flash can get the most money, maybe could win the presidency. And I think that, you know, there, I look at somebody like Hillary Clinton who, you know, I did not vote for her in the primary in 2016. I was for Bernie at that time. I no longer support him. I always have to put that in there. I, I don't necessarily trust him. I still like his overall view of the country, but I just don't believe that he's going to be able to do it. And I don't fully trust him. But beyond that, um, you know, Hillary Clinton was not my first choice. And I remember her saying, you know, once she became the nominee, I absolutely got behind her just because Donald Trump is so awful. And I started to realize, and, you know, without getting too involved in this, uh, because I've talked about it so many other times, but, you know, being a Bernie supporter online specifically, uh, there were all these groups where initially they were just all, I love Bernie, Bernie's great, let's just focus on how great Bernie is. And it turned into a pit of Hillary Clinton is the devil and she's going to kill us all. And, it, it, you know, so I was definitely manipulated by some, uh, not to the point where I hated her, but it was manipulated to believe that she was worse than she was because of all this disinformation that was being spread, all the lies. And, and of course, you know, add to that the years and years and years of, of GOP smears. So when she was saying to everybody, you know, hey, look, my husband and Barack Obama are really good at going out and shaking hands and meeting and greeting people. I'm not. I'm the person who does the work. She's, it's true. She always had high approval ratings when she was working, when she was a senator, when she was a secretary of state. People loved her because she was, do, she was a wonk and she was doing her job, and um, that's what people liked. But when it came down to campaign trail and having to go forward with all the traditional things, I mean, she had the money, but it was like, I think the fact that she doesn't have this easygoing, easy breezy personality, she's definitely more of that wonk, you know, who's good at just the work. Um, I think that it got in the way. And so I think the way that you're running, even though it's it's always going to be about personality, um, I think it's you're putting the emphasis on the work and the community, which is extremely important. And, you know, I mean, that's what everybody talks about, the, uh, you know, Main Street issues. That's what we care about. So, I mean, I think it's great. Before we go, why don't you tell us what some of the the top concerns, I mean, I understand why you're running in the way that you, you know, strategy for running, but um, as far as your concerns and, and what you want to accomplish, why are you running? Well, I'm going to address your last comment before I get to the question. Okay. So we're really seeing the money thing play out here in Maine right now. And you'd asked about Sarah Gideon. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, there's four Democrats running. I don't know Ross well enough to have an opinion on him. I am, I'm so sorry. I can't help with that. <laughs> there's also Betsy and Bree. Um, Bree is younger and they haven't run for office before. And, and that's somebody I know as a colleague. I really respect Bree. 
um, Bree's going to have a, a challenge getting critical mass because she finds money and politics sort of as distasteful as I do. But there's a really interesting dynamic right now going on between Sarah and Betsy. Um, Betsy has arguably a far better ground game than Sarah, although Sarah outraises her with money. Mm-hmm. But Betsy ran for governor last year and Betsy has gotten more votes in the state than Sarah ever has. And, and Betsy has a really good volunteer team and she is incredibly charming in person. And they have a very similar amount of in-state donors, but you know, whereas Betsy has a hundred and something thousand that she raised and Sarah has millions. It'll be interesting to see the primary because um, our primaries in June, there's nothing interesting tied to it. It's really just a primary for the fall election and the presidential primary will have already happened. I don't anticipate there's going to be anything shocking that will turn people out aside from that on the ballot. So it's really going to be about how many people on the ground can you get to turn out. So keep an eye on that because mm-hmm. it's really going to be a brute force money or energy. Um, the, the internet has treated Sarah like she is the presumptive yeah. candidate, but if you are on the ground, way more people know who Betsy is hmm, way more. And, um, they have, you know, sort of equally impressive resumes. Um, and I don't know who will be on the ballot that I'm going to be up against. I think a lot of people assume it's Sarah because that's all they see on the internet, but Betsy's got a great ground game. She really does. And hmm. she is so charming. So um, keep an eye on that because it's going to be interesting. And I really think that if people are interested in this race, they should follow all the candidates because it is ranked choice voting. So anyway, you didn't didn't ask that question, but I think it's going to be interesting for your your listeners to pay attention to that. Yeah. And as a voter, I'm interested in that, right? (laughs) I mean, I always say that I'm a voter first. And so you'd ask kind of what's important and meaningful. And that's it. Like, I'm a voter first. I ran for office last year, not because I like money or flash or power. Like, I'm not interested in any of that. And if you follow me on Twitter, you're pretty aware of that by now. Um, But what is important to me is I'm a voter first, and I really want my job to not be harder. So I want people in there that really care about the law and know what they're doing and know what they're getting into and know generally the consequences of what they're doing when they're legislating. And and I just don't really see anybody in the race who has more of that skill at this point in time than I do. Um, I think I'm a little bit more realistic about Susan. She's objectively a great politician. She is good at bringing home fat. She has brought home millions in, in pork spending. She's good at it. She's great at photo ops. I just fundamentally disagree with the quality of her votes, which is very different Mm -hmm. than being upset about her not being a a good politician. I know I see online a lot of people saying, oh, she's a horrible politician. She's a great politician. And and I think that we shouldn't um, devalue that because that is a skill that she's brought. Um, Do I agree with her votes? No, she's voting for unqualified judges. That's not acceptable. She's putting judges in courtrooms that have never been in a Mm -hmm. trial. And as somebody who's tried a case in front of somebody who probably should have seen a little bit more trial time before they became a judge, that is a horrible thing to inflict upon the legal system. So, you know, I, the, the votes the, for judges, the votes for bills, the nonsensical um, drawing out of people to make them feel like she's listening when she already has her vote decided, you know, th- those sorts of things are what offend me as a voter. And that's why I'm running. And that's what I don't want to see in office. And I think that because of the way I prioritize and because of the way that I'm willing to campaign and I'm not willing to campaign, you know, I hope what comes out of my run is that we see campaigning differently. And it'd be great if I won. And I'm certainly optimistic that that's very possible. I think a couple of TV spots Mm -hmm. from, from shows that find me interesting would do it. Um, But, but really it's, you know, what do we want out of our Mm -hmm. candidates? This is a hiring process. And right now we have a a job interview that promotes people that are better on dancing with the stars than writing federal law. (laughs) And he got kicked off of that too. (laughs) Yeah. Like let's, let's, let's try electing people that actually want to do the job. Yeah. And that's the problem that I have is we get a lot of people that are really good at campaigning, but campaigning is not legislating. Right. Like not even, you know, there's a lot of people who are great at donors, but donors don't have anything to do with legislating. And when they do, they shouldn't. 
We should have people that are voters first doing it. We should have people that are competent doing it. We should have people that really care about the words on the page doing it. And we should really have people who, when they're going through the confirmation process, aren't just rubber stamping somebody who's mm-hmm. not a serial killer. Um <laughs> Or because they vote with the party line. You know, we should have had so much less emphasis on parties. We should have so much less emphasis on money. And, you know, that's that's really what I I hope happens. And and that that includes if I get elected. But really, it's bigger than me. It's bigger than one race. It's how do we change our system so we have the government we want? Because right now we have the government we deserve, right? (laughs) We we kind of deserve a not great government when we don't pay attention. Yeah, and that's so real. That's really what it. Want. That's really what it comes down to. And I mean, what you're doing is important because that's one aspect of it. But I think another aspect of it, and I've always said that, you know, I I didn't really start paying attention to politics until, I mean, closely, uh, until Sarah Palin. I I was I, I started my very first vote went to Bill Clinton, and I've always been a Democrat. But well, actually, that's not true. I was registered as a Republican, but that's because I just didn't even understand the difference between the parties. And that's because um, I was raised in Southern California and I went to public schools that didn't teach civics. And I really just didn't understand government. And if we would fund education, fund public education, make sure that civics class are classes are mandated, you know, and then and then add into what you're doing where, where people are taking it upon themselves to run the kind of campaign that you're running. And, and you know, if, if you are able to successfully kick Susan Collins out, uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. There's going to be a whole lot more people. You're going to get all kinds of coverage and everybody's going to know about this and it's going to be like, oh, I want to do this. I want to do this. But it's going to it's, it's always got to take that one person who who you know, might be ridiculed for doing something so different, but that if you're successful and, you know, frankly, from what you said in your last, in the last election you were in, you didn't win, but you were able to knock out a Republican who wasn't good. So you did find some success. And, and, and I think what you're doing, like I said before, is admirable. And it goes beyond political ideology just because you're, 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 you're trying to pioneer a new way for America to handle its elections. And I totally agree with you. We need to get money out. I mean, I'm certainly not the kind of person, I mean, I'm not, I've always, part of the reason I liked Bernie Sanders was because um, it, it, it had nothing to do with Democrat or Republican. It was just that I liked the overall vision for the country. And I'm absolutely not afraid to criticize our own when we make mistakes. And a lot of people see that criticism as an attack. And it's like, no, I mean, we can always do better. We're never going to have a perfect government ever because we're humans and we're always going to screw things up. But I mean, I think we can definitely get to a much better and more fair. There are other countries, or at least there have been in the past, and I can't cite anything where, you know, people who are running, they get like 5,000 bucks and that's all they get. And then they have to go out and convince people to vote for them. And so I wish that our country would be a little bit more... um, open to that. So I'm, I'm grateful that you have, have the opportunity to tell me and, and my listeners what you're doing. And I, I really do wish you well. Um, I, it'll be interesting to watch this race. You know, you actually made an unintentional great point about ranked choice voting, and I don't even think that you noticed it. (laughs) So here's something that ranked choice voting can do and that a lot of people don't understand is not only can you support more than one candidate, it's beneficial if you are trying to remove an incumbent to have at least two strong opponents, which is the exact opposite of every other voting system that's commonly used in the United States. So if you have two strong opponents and they look and feel viable, um, that actually decreases the incumbent's odds of winning because you get multiple mm-hmm. multiple perspectives being able to make critical statements without it seeming like anyone is too, you know, oh, I hate this person. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, they bring their team to the party. So you have more voters available, you have higher voter turnout, and then you have more of the people showing up as people that sort of naturally don't like the incumbent. There you so go. if you want, if your if your listeners really want to see Susan Collins get knocked out, follow everybody in the race and get at least two of the strongest 
you know, candidates on the ballot against her, and that's going to be a Democrat and at least one independent. We also have a couple of Greens in the race. Um, we have uh, the smallest percentage by share is Greens of uh, political uh, affiliation that are running in the race. But, you know, we have we have more independents than either Republicans or Democrats in Maine. It's a very independent-leaning state. So um, I would encourage any of your listeners that are interested in this race Follow the candidates. Support them as much as you can. Um, pick at least one Democrat you're really enthusiastic about and pick an independent you're really enthusiastic about um, and do what you can to make sure that they both go into the final round mm-hmm. as strong as possible because as a horse race, I think Susan Collins is going to win. If it's a two-person horse race, mm-hmm. it's very difficult to defeat her. But she's going to have a really hard time making two people the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's what really, really fascinating stuff. Um, before we go, is there anything else you'd like to add? No, you know, um, easiest to find on Twitter. I've sort of veered away from Facebook given the privacy and other yeah. constraints <laughs> that they, they have as a platform. I really don't think that it's a healthy place to be. Um, I am fairly responsive on Twitter. I have an Instagram as well. Um, but Given the limited data coverage in um, Maine, Twitter seems to be the one that works the best. So my handle is just at Tiffany Bond. Um, have a follow. I am an interesting mix to me, maybe less interesting <laughs> to other people. I talk about politics. I also just talk about, you know, the law and life events and my kids and cats. I, I <laughs> We have one cat that's awful. Um, and, you know, um, let's let's change it let's make it different it's you make change not by any catastrophic thing but by just doing it differently so that's what i want to do okay well i will be making sure to put your uh the link to your website as well as your twitter handle in the description in patreon um thank you so much for coming on the show and i do wish you luck good luck thank you so much for having me all right you take care yeah, that was pretty fascinating. Um, she, she I, I, I do, I, I use the word admire, and, and that's the perfect word. I admire what she's doing. Uh, as I explained when I was talking to her, part of the reason why I did like Bernie so much is because I felt like he was going up against some of what we need to clean up in the Democratic Party. And I think it's ridiculous to pretend the Democratic Party is perfect. There's certainly nothing like the Republican Party. I, I am not the person who says both parties are the same. I am the person who says we can always have a better party. No matter what we have, it can always be better. Um, and, and the idea is incrementally cleaning it up so that, you know, we get rid of this problem and then we can work on the next problem. Then we get rid of that problem. And sometimes the problems that we're dealing with are, you know, like, for instance, with money and politics. And when somebody, you know, at this point in the game, um, I, I don't have a problem with somebody like Elizabeth Warren, especially in the general, if she were the, if she were the candidate to take big money because she's going to need it. The Republicans are going to have so much money and to expect somebody like her or any, any Democrat to walk in with like, you know, with a walk into a, a knife with an AR at an AR 15 fight. It's just dumb. It's, it's not a strategically, uh, plausible, thing to expect a candidate to, to, to win with no money or very little money compared to your competitor who has ridiculous amounts of money pouring in. So while we have that in place, unfortunately, we have to utilize it to win. And if we can get away with, you know, if Elizabeth Warren does a really good job or whoever it is, but let's just, just take Elizabeth Warren as an example. If she can make uh, a lot of money in the primary, um, that's great because what that, you know, from small donors, that's great because it's, it's, it's telling everybody, just like with Bernie, it's saying, hey, there's a different way. We can do this in a different way. And then at this point, when she goes into the general, yes, yeah, she's going to have to take big money. Um, but I don't worry that Elizabeth Warren is going to be so beholden to people or corporations who are screwing over Americans. I think that you take that money and then once you get into office, you work to change things so you don't have to take that money. Um, that's what I would like to see happen. And, and again, the way that Tiffany explained it is if, as, as long as there's a path to, or, you know, offering a different way of doing things when that, that is a way we can get rid of Citizens United because we've got an alternative that could work. So I, I really do think what she's doing is so, um, it, it's like a pioneering thing. And I, I also really like 
that she's not fooling herself and and saying, you know, I'm absolutely going to win. She's like, hey, look, I'm just I'm doing this because I believe in this and I recognize that I may not win. But I will, you know, if I get defeated this time, you know, who knows, maybe she'll do this again next time. But she is making a difference. And again, I go back to forget her ideology, which I happen to agree with on many, you know, like I went to her issues. And for the most part, I agree with her. She's pretty reasonable. She describes herself as an independent. But as she said at the beginning of the interview, um, or at least I think that was, we were either talking um, off off record, or I don't remember, but you know, her idea, her ideals, ideals and her ideology aligns more with the Democratic Party than anything else. I think that she just um, recognizes there can be better ways to do things on both sides. And so kudos for her for making that effort. And that's going to be it for today. As I said, Stephanie, uh, Steph Walton, I, I forget to say her last name all the time because she's my friend. So I apologize to her and to you, but it's Steph Walton. She's going to be here next Wednesday. I do believe Feminist Next Door is coming, uh, coming by on the 4th of December. And, uh, you know, but she's a lawyer. So I don't know, sometimes her schedule gets crazy. And if she has to um, postpone or something, just expect that. But for now, it's in the books. And what else? What else? Of course, you can find me on Twitter at author Kimberly, K-I-M-B-E-R-L-E-Y. And you can visit my um, Amazon page. I've written books. And you know what? I, I, I also, and that's Kimberly A. Johnson. And then I'm also just going to push my mom's page, which is Ann Werner, A-N-N, and then W-E-R-N-E-R. She has an Amazon page. She writes thrillers. And in fact, she wrote a book called Crazy, which happens to be my favorite one. And that is about a serial killer. And it's a thriller, obviously. But there's, and, and the, the lead character is a tall blonde actress, which was very loosely based on me. And this tall blonde actress is, um, I guess, the target of the serial killer. And it's really freaking creepy. I love, I love um, creepy books. I love them. And my mom is kind of along, like, she's not exactly like Stephen King, close. More like Dean Koontz, kind of, if anybody knows Dean Koontz, who I really love his books. Um, She's kind of like that. And this book is my favorite of hers. I, I like all of them, but this one is my particular favorite because there is a total twist with the serial killer too. So it's called Crazy by Ann Werner on Amazon. And if you want to follow her, she also writes politics, Ms. Werner, M.S. Werner on Twitter. Um, so that's it. And I will see you guys next Wednesday, right before Thanksgiving. And tonight, don't forget, there is a uh, Democratic debate with with way too many people. (laughs) It's going to be frustrating, I'm sure. Anyway, take care, everybody.